Hello, so we're looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 23 to 29. And um, what would you do if you were living in a, call it a dictatorship, and the dictator had, I would say, abused the rights of uh, the people, had imposed a religious order such as Nebuchadnezzar that everyone should bow to an idol, what would you do in that place? Would you basically uh, settle in or would you uh, revolt against him? And what we see in chapter 23 is the group of Levites who had enough of a illegitimate ruler, won't call her queen, she's a ruler, she takes over and takes charge of uh, the country after her son dies and self-proclaims uh, to be the anointed one. So what do you do as a leader or as a person or, or as a, a believer? Now, not too long ago in the 1940s, a pastor and theologian called Diedrich Bonhoeffer conspired against, uh, with, against the Nazi government to assassinate Hitler. So they and some others got together and attempted to do so, to bring down the Nazi government or teach them a lesson, but wasn't able to fulfill that and was put to death. Do you think that it's by force that one can take over or to bring to submission that which is of not of God? Or is it that we wish to endure the suffering like the persecuted at the early church? So whatever your, I will call it, moral outlook towards that, we have a story here of Ahaziah, who is king. He dies and he has a young son called Joash. And Joash is a baby at the time. and He's put into hiding. The mother of Ahaziah is Atalia and she kills the entire royal family and all the um, illegitimate heirs to the throne. However, she, she misses Joash and Joash is taken into hiding for that period of her reign. And it's the Levites who look after the temple come together and plot against her so that she is destroyed and killed. So they make a covenant and they uh, to kill her and to get Joash back, his lineage, which is David's lineage, back into the throne. And so you see that they go into the temple where they stored some of David's royal, I would say, uh, uh, artillery and armor. And they uh, take it out, they put a crown on Joash and they prayed with him and celebrate that he is the king, despite having Atalia at the throne. So she, without any knowledge of what's happening, sees and hears the sounds, and she inquires and finds that this is um, a coup to make Joash king. She tears her clothes in probably remorse or uh, in, in, um, in mourning or in grief, and uh, they take her and put her to death there. It's premeditated in that they didn't want to put her in death at the temple house, so they took her out. At the end of that whole um, chapter, you see that 
So all the people of the, of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet after Athalia had been put to death by the sword. So you can see that she has not been a very light person somewhat. She would be a Jezebel at that point. Uh, we also see that after putting her to death and putting Joash as king, the Levites covenant between themselves and they then tear down the valves and the images and they break them into pieces and they reinstate the temple sac- uh, temple worship to God in, in sacrifices and they uh, reinstate the priests and they then start following the laws according to Moses. So you see a good revolution and a I will call it a reformation of their life. So sometimes, you know, when we go through life and we have dictators and people who rule over us or in place laws that are not just for for believers, those are opportunities for God to do something. So we see that here. So now as we go into chapter 24, we're looking at Joash. Now in the reign of Joash, we have uh, we have a cleanup of the temple. He actually uh, takes his mother's name was uh, Zibiah from Bersheba. Okay, and Joash did what was right, so which is very important to begin with. Because it says Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord in the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now Jehoiada was the one who helped him to get to the throne. Remember. And so he, Joash here, is now restoring the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And he gathers the priests together and he's asking them, why is it that the taxes for the temple has not been collected? See, now we found out from kings that there were a 30% tax here, 10% for the king, 10 for the Levites and 10 from their produce. So that hasn't been collected. And so he demands that they be made a chest and it is set outside the gate of the house of the Lord. And as this is being done, uh, you must remember that there were no need for this previously in that giving any 10% to uh, Baal because there, it was merely a statue that was there that needed to, I would say, uh, not needed any looking after. But if you look at it, verse 9, it says the proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring in the Lord the tax that Moses... Now, this is the tax that's instituted, not some tithes and offerings in a sense of like how uh, we look at it, but in a sense of that which was their right, um, the right for the Levites. And the tax that Moses, the servant of the Lord, laid upon Israel in the wilderness and to all the princes and all the people and they rejoiced and they brought their tax and dropped it into the chest until it was had finished. So you see that. Now, now I want you pastors to look at this part here. In verse 10 it says, And the God laid on Israel in the wilderness, right? That's that, that 10% that needed to be for the Levites. And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and they brought their tax and dropped it into the chest until it had finished. Okay, so we read that. Look at verse 11. And whenever the chest was brought to the king's officers by the Levites, when they saw there was much money in it, now this is what happens when it's filled up basically, the king's secretary and the officer and the chief priest 
would come and empty the chest and take it and return it to its place. So if you if you missed that part, it wasn't just one person, the pastor taking all the money and putting it in his pocket. There were there were witnesses here. It was the officer and then it was the officers of the Levites, two people counting the money. And then it is taken and put into a place where it is then going to be now uh, counted and distributed. So this money basically that was being collected were used for the restoration of the temple. And every time the money uh, sort of uh, filled up, they would use it again to bring it to the temple's uh, proper condition and it is strengthened. And when you find that uh, it's now completely uh, strengthened, then they would replace the stuff that had been uh, destroyed. Remember that uh, Atalia used all these dedicated items for the bowels previously. You see that in chapter uh, verse 7. So there's been much of defilement in this but here we see a good restoration and Joida seems to be a very wise ruler a leader of the temple so Joida grew old in full in his days and he dies at 120 130 pardon years old that's an old man I mean in those days to have lived that long and um, he was buried in the city of David and the kings uh, he had uh, done good in Israel and towards God and the house. He served God well. That's the beauty of it. I want you to look at me at uh, 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 17. And it says, At that time, Hazel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. But when, he had, uh, where is it? But when Hazel set his face to go up against Jerusalem, listen to this, Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Joseph had, and Joram and Hazael, his fathers, and the kings of Judah had dedicated to their own sacred gifts and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent it to Hazael, king of Syria. Then Hazael went up away, went away from Jerusalem. So basically he had taken all the... the uh, the sacred items and the what call them the heirlooms and stuff and given it over for a protection money to the king of Syria and that's not a good thing because in giving uh, giving sort of I would say uh, a, a protection money so that you do not get uh, attacked it's gonna it's gonna mean that at some point uh, the king of Syria is gonna come back and ask for more and you see that in doing such an act, it's showing that he places his confidence and his faith in man rather than God. Because instead of trusting that God will deliver him from his enemies, he has now conspired and worked against God in this manner. And so how one would say, well, how has he worked against God? Well, God is the ruling chief and commander of Israel. And all these kings are mere servants of God. So he has to work in unity and in communion with God to be able to rule the people, just like David did and the wisdom that came from Solomon did. And so you see that although he had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord by instituting the, the practices of the temple and the laws, now much of um, Joash's life has been one that had been protected by the Levites, especially Jehoiada, who, you know, a wise old man who had been giving him counsel. 
Now, after he had been buried and placed to rest with the kings, which means that he had uh, contributed significantly to the country and to the people, you see at verse 17 of chapter 24, which is very important for us to look at. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, now it's very important that they mention that after the death of him, because now they've come, the princes of Judah had come to pay homage to the king. Uh, it came to basically flatter him and to probably see that opportunity they could have now direct access to the king. The king listened to them, which uh, without the advisors, he's listened to them. And they had abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols. And the wrath came upon Judah and the how and uh, Jerusalem for the guilt of theirs, and yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. So you can see now slowly, slowly, uh, slippery slope downwards is beginning to occur. And as usual, um, now the son of Jehoiada, Zechariah, uh, comes in the spirit of the Lord is upon him and he basically says thus says the Lord why do you break the commandment of the Lord so that you cannot uh, so that you cannot prosper because you have forsaken the Lord he has forsaken you sounds familiar sounds just like Samuel uh, Saul isn't it now but they conspired against him and command of the king they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord and this is very unique that they actually killed the prophet at the house of the Lord itself. Where they didn't want to kill Athaliah, remember? In the house of the Lord, they were mindful of it. Nor did Joash actually remember that uh, this prophet's father had been kind to him in actually protecting him to get the kingdom. So we see this in uh, verse 21. But they conspired against him and by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus, Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Joida, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. Similar to that of Cain's blood, uh, Abel's blood, righteous blood, crying out. And God does uh, avenge those that have been injustice on, uh, that has had injustice on them. And at the end of the year, the armies of the Syrians came up against Joash. And so, so they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people among the people and sent all their spoils to the king of Damascus. Can you see this? The moment you break away from God, there's the, the peace is gone. There's war and there's battles. It says, though the army of the Syrians came, with a few men the Lord delivered. Who delivered them? You see, the Lord delivered them into a very into a very great army because of Judah, because they had forsaken the law, Lord God and their fathers, and thus executed judgment on Joash. And there we go. So you see that even I believe that sometimes even the rulers and the leaders, we hand our somewhat succession over to our children. But the kingdom of God and to those who are children of God do not function that way because God is our father and God looks after us and God uh, watches over us. You see, with Jacob, as we read previously, he always talked about his father's gods. But later, as he grew older, he talked about his God. 
And this is the big difference is that Joash may have been trained in the in the in the uh, with the Lev- uh, Levites and you may have had experiences being in the house of the Lord and yet he doesn't know who this God is in that he had the theoretical idea of what it meant to serve God but when it came to the practical the mere homage paid to him made him lose focus at verse 17 so that's very sad and tragic and to a very good start so now in chapter 25 we meet Amaziah Amaziah is 25 years old when he begins to reign and in verse 2 it says that and he did what is right in the eyes of the Lord yet not with his whole heart and that becomes the heart of the issue all the time here is that everyone wants to follow God's laws but not give their lives to the Lord so as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable they cannot they will never will uh, you must remember that's the difference between an old testament heart to a new testament heart one is of stone one is of flesh one is touched by God one isn't one is self-willed one is dying to self so as we read through here we find that um, let's go verse 4 but he did not put the children to death according to what uh, was written in the law so you see he follows the he follows the law of moses so which means he is not as bad as the kings later on but in verse 3 we find out that uh, as soon as the royal power was firmly established or firmly suited right he killed all those who killed his father so you see this constant revenge of a dynasty now we're looking at in verse 5 it's a story of going into battle so amaziah is going into battle and he takes in 300 choice men from his own area judah and benjamin area and uh, he hires 100,000 called them mercenary fighters from the northern kingdom which are the Ephraimites uh, which would be um, the people of Israel in that kingdom now God sends a man of uh, a man um, a, call him a, a man, they call him a man of God basically and they send him up with a message that says oh king of, uh, what's called do not go with the people of Israel uh, and he the first thing the king amaziah says is well i've already paid for these 100,000 uh, uh, sort of mercenaries and i'm paying them 100 talents uh, if i what's going to happen with my down payment there and he says the lord is able to give you much more than this and that's verse 9 how many times have we gone on the wrong road and in going on that wrong road we are so stubborn to turn back because we've invested so much of our wrong i will call it a uh, heart in it that it would be too much of a pain to return and here god says well isn't god able to give you much more than this and so he listens and he sends back the people of to ephraim to go home they're not very happy they say they actually they they return home in fierce anger right so uh, amaziah then goes with his 300,000 guys and they capture another 10,000 alive takes them to the top of a cliff and throw them down however the guys that he sent back home have now gone on their own spree and they've gone down to the southern kingdoms and they kept they basically struck down 3000 people and they took with them much spoil so you can see 
just the amount of greed and um, uh, lack of any sense of loyalty or order. And now we have another interesting issue here is that Amaziah, now in striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir and he set them up as his gods in worship and worshiped them, making them offerings uh, to them. And uh, the prophet comes up to him and says, why have you done this? Uh, why would you, did you not deliver them? Uh, these gods didn't deliver them from their own people. How is it that you've now taken them to worship you know, uh, them? And he's, while still speaking, he says to him to stop. He says, who has asked you for counsel? So now we, uh, we meet uh, Uzziah in chapter 26. And Uzziah is um, 16 years old, is it? Let's have a look says he's 16 years old and made him king instead of his father Amaziah and he built Edlon uh, Elot and restored it and then you see verse 4 and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that the fathers Amaziah had done and he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God and as long as he sought God and sought the Lord God he made him prosper and then we can read in verse 4 onwards as to all that he had accomplished, which is quite impressive. So you saw at the very beginning is that as long as he sought the Lord, he, he, you know, he became prosperous. But there you see in verse 16, it says that, But when he was strong, he grew proud and his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar and, inc uh, and the altar of incense. And you see that it's the same sort of trap we all get into, is that at the, at the beginning, we all want to serve the Lord. We all want to do well. We all want to seek the Lord. And that's where we should be all the time. But for some reason, with that, God gives us wisdom and he gives us strength and he enables us to be like Hosiah, who comes up with some innovation that's beyond this world and it gets to our head and so now you see Hosea with his pride and his uh, unfaithfulness to God he goes into the house of the Lord and he goes to uh, burn incense before the Lord now we know that there are three functions or three offices in the Old Testament which is the priest the prophet and the king here is a king who's taking usurping the authority of a priest and he goes into the temple and the priests follow him to confront him. And it wasn't for him to have gone into the temple. It was for the priests to have done that. In doing so, they confront him. And as they're confronting him, he gets angry, really angry. And as he's getting angry on his forehead, he starts getting leprosy. Getting leprosy to an extent that they, uh, Zion, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, there was leprosy in his forehead, and they rushed him out quickly, and he and himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people uh, of the land. And so you see that tragedy coming over so he was the leper and Jotham his son reigned in his place and that what a what a tragedy that is isn't it and we find that in chapter 27 Jotham now is 25 years old and he begins to reign and 
uh, look at this in verse 2 it says and um, and he did what is right in the eyes of the Lord and according to all that his father Uzziah had done except he did not enter the temple of the Lord okay so that's a quite a tongue-in-cheek there and he built the upper gates and it tells of all that he had achieved and then we go to chapter 28 now in this chapter we find that Ahaz he's 20 years old so he begins to reign at uh, 16 years old and it says that he did not do what is right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done but he walks in the ways of the kings of Israel and uh, he made metal images for the Baals and he offered at uh, the valley of the sons of Hinnom and he burnt his sons as offering according to the abominations of the nations whom they the Lord had drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and he made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. And you can see here how evil it's becoming in that children are now being sacrificed. Therefore the Lord God gave him into the hand of King Syria. And you want to read more about this, go to Isaiah chapter 7. And so Isaiah is the prophet of the time. And then let's just go to the end at verse 22. And it says, In this time of great distress, uh, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. And the same king has, for he sacrificed to the gods of the Damascus. And these are the gods that he, would, he was trying to defeat. They were trying to defeat him. He defeated him and he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them. But you don't see that he's been protected by the Lord because of his father David and uh, he ends up not being buried in the tombs of the kings just like his I think his father and the others and so in chapter 29 we meet Hezekiah um, he's not anything like his father Ahaz he, um, he reigns when he's 25 years old and he does what is right in the eyes of the Lord and um, he opens the doors of the house of the Lord and he repairs them and then he consecrates the house, he consecrates the Levites and he continues with restoring the temple worship. And there you see, despite all that he does, he has to still deal with the consequences of his father and the, uh, of the defilement of that which had occurred. It's interesting if you look at verse 19, it says, All the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless we have made ready and consecrated and behold they are before the altar of the Lord and we're going to carry on with with, uh, with uh, King Hezekiah tomorrow otherwise God bless you